Hello, and welcome to The Graced Podcast, where we infuse everyday magic into your everyday life. First off, some news. My first Mystic Scopes video launched on the Mystic Mondays YouTube. So thank you to everyone who watched the video or listened to the podcast episode. Today's episode, I have Hannah Cole, who is a tax expert for creatives. Now, what's a tax person doing on your podcast, you ask? Well, something I'm passionate about is enhancing your everyday life through rituals. And why not approach your bookkeeping and taxes like a ritual? As a creative myself, Hannah's work really spoke to me. So much so that when we met at a virtual workshop, immediately afterwards, I signed up for her program Money Bootcamp. At the time, I was feeling pretty lost and confused about my own finances, and I was really glad to have this program help me sort it all out so that I could have a better understanding and ultimately feel like I was in more control over my finances and not my finances in control of me. Not only that, but Hannah is also an artist. So while taking her program, it really spoke to my creative brain, the way she simplified how to approach your taxes. Because let's face it, you are not taught how to do this stuff in school, which can make adulting unnecessarily hard and complex. And taxes can sneak up on you, especially if you're working for yourself like I am. We've all got our money stories, and this episode gives you the scoop on how to handle your finances as a soul-centric creative and solopreneur without selling your soul. Now let's dive in. Hey, Grace. Hey, Hannah. Thanks for hopping on the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. So I know as a creative entrepreneur, artist, multidisciplinary being that I tend to be, sometimes I can get a little confused about how to approach taxes. And I know we met virtually in Mm -hmm. a workshop and I remember you explaining what you do and I was like oh my god I need I need that (laughs) so tell us what you do and how that has evolved from the first time I met you sure um so I am the founder of sunlight tax I'm an artist by training so I've been a professional painter for like almost 20 years including still um And I basically have always felt very ill-served when it came to like taxes and accounting. I've had some really traumatic experiences sitting in rooms with accountants where they were like, when are you going to get a real job? Um, And I was like a professor of painting. I was not exactly an amateur. (laughs) So I just, I have, I think I have just seen that people in, um, people in the world who have their focus somewhere deeply important to them. And often that means it's not on money. So whether you're a creative person, whether you're a spiritual person, a sort of soul-centric person, I think that we can tend to get misaligned when it comes to our money because we have so many traumatic experiences like that, that um, we start thinking of money as the bad thing um, instead of you know associating it with the experiences we've had with money, which can be terrible. Um, and so... I wanted to create a company that um, that serves people like us, you know, mission-driven, heart-centric people um, with tax and financial information so that they can set up um, really well and basically, uh, you know, not get distracted and be able to have a bigger impact with their work. 
So that's that's what I do. And I run a program called Money Bootcamp, which is sort of like a self-study program to set up your bookkeeping taxes and also your what I call FU money, um, which is, you know, your giant pile of money that helps you be able to make the decisions you want to and uh, have more power. So, yeah, that's what I do. That's amazing. And congratulations on being an artist for over 20 years. That's a big deal. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) It's nice to hear that. Yeah, I feel like the value if we're talking about money and the money stories that comes with being an artist, I know something I hear a lot is that artists don't make money. And I think that Mm -hmm. can affect how we even approach our practice. And I suppose what was your defining moment in wanting to learn more about taxes and how that can actually support your creativity? Mm, I've had several. Um, I mean, my first most really awful one was just trying to hire my dad's accountant when I got out of graduate school from my MFA program and just like literally sitting in a room with him thinking I was going to get, you know, when you when you buy a professional tax return, when you go in for professional tax prep, I think the mistake people make is they think they're going to get more than tax prep, more than a tax return, and you don't. Um, so I thought I was going to get all my questions answered and like figure out all this crazy stuff I didn't know how to do, like figure out estimated quarterly tax payments and um, you know which retirement, you know the difference between a Roth and a solo and a traditional four hundred one k or sorry a Roth and a traditional IRA. And I walked in there and he was like, he had no interest or curiosity in me as a creative person. I think, you know, when I look back at it with more, with more like mature eyes, I see that he probably felt somewhat threatened by me because, you know, an accountant is so different <laughs> from like an artist, right? They've made a very conservative life choice. They've made life choices around numbers and stability. And you're literally looking at someone who did the opposite. So he he was very judgmental towards me and um, just made me feel so small and frankly intimidated the hell out of me because I didn't know, you know, I didn't know what these terms were that he was throwing around. I didn't know the difference between a Roth and a traditional IRA or what ROI meant. Um, so I was too intimidated to ask any questions um, and I didn't get any of the value that I thought I should have out of that appointment because it was so honestly scarring. <laughs> So, yeah, I just, it just made me want to do that better. Totally. So that led you to learning taxes yourself and wanting to offer it to other people, or were you doing it as a practice for yourself first? I did it for myself first, and there were many more years um, that went by. Having a baby, like, flipped the economics of my life on its head, um, and so that was a big moment where I was like, ooh, I don't know if my life is working this, you know, if, if the economics work anymore here. Um, and then I had a job at a design agency in New York City for um, for a short time that was a really wonderful job and I loved it. And a very crystallizing thing that happened there was that my boss, who himself was a creative person, and similarly had kind of an allergy to his numbers, probably very much because he'd had you know, been mistreated as a creative person um, in those settings. He didn't know if he was profitable or not. 
And this is something that a lot of businesses encounter. They really, they're just like hustling for more work, but they don't actually know what the numbers are, like how much it costs them to do that work. So one day when he did finally get his bookkeeping together, he realized he wasn't making any money at all. He was actually losing money and everyone, the company basically folded within the week. So I lost my job because my boss didn't do bookkeeping. He didn't know the answer to, am I profitable? So that made me real. I was out of a job at that point. That was the moment I went back to school for accounting because I was like, oh, <laughs> what am I going to do now? <laughs> so Yeah, yeah. I feel that everything in life prepares you for the next step. And these stories, um, whether, you know, they're uplifting or they just turn you onto another path, led you to figure this out yourself because nobody, you know, every tax accountant has a different way of approaching things, even if there's a standard way of approaching numbers. But something mm -hmm. you said before was, the dehumanization you felt in the presence of your dad's accountant and how you didn't feel seen and heard as as a human being and so i'm wondering totally. how you bring that human connection into your practice yeah that's a great question i mean i like i get crushes on my clients i mean not like a romantic crush, but I like see the work that my clients are doing. And I'm like, Oh my God, it's so cool. <laughs> like I stalk them on their websites and just see, you know, like I have people doing really amazing things. And I just, it's like a, it's a part of my mission of my business to make sure the clients know it. You know, when I'm like, you know, when I talk to somebody, the, the fact is like a lot of creative people, um, a lot of your success may not be reflected in your numbers, but it is reflected in other ways. And so I try to always see that, you know, like if you got this grant, that's really, really hard to get because I know that world, I will say like, oh my gosh, congratulations on that grant. That must've been really hard. Or, you know, I just try to witness them where they are. And it's basically just being an artist together with them. <laughs> They're not all artists, but like, you know, whatever, I mean, with you, Grace, you're doing amazing. But like, I remember when you came in and you had just like, you had all these different tarot decks and you were getting all this business success. I was, you know, I just like wanted to let you know that I saw that. I thought it was incredibly impressive. So that, that feels like an important thing. You know, I remember that very clearly too, because I definitely, I felt confused myself. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, it just felt very validating to hear that from you. And like, you know, seeing that you saw the, the numbers and things that I think I had an allergy to at the time as well, of just mm -hmm. like understanding where I stood. So mm -hmm. just hearing that from somebody else and I think having the standpoint of being an artist or being a creative and understanding the work that goes into being a creative because like you said, sometimes it's not measured by monetary success necessarily, although that does mm -hmm. tell a story. I think it also stands to the courage it takes to choosing a different path, to choosing something that may challenge these ideas of stability and creating a different way of life or a different way of a foundation for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, 
I think you said exactly what the problem is, is like a lot of times when you're really focused somewhere else, whether it is making the best tarot deck you can, whether it is like connecting deeply with someone you are delivering some type of healing to, whether it is, you know, a creative experience, like when that is your biggest focus. And in fact, when you're so hyper-focused on that, that sometimes you even get a little unfocused on the money part that will reflect in your money. You know I mean? It will be visible on your balance sheet and your profit and loss statement. And that's okay. Like we don't need to say that's good or bad. I'm not here to say it is good or bad, but I'm saying like it will show up, it will appear. And so it's kind of, I think a lot of accountants are obviously it's their job to be oriented to the numbers. So that's what they're looking at. And they fail to see all the rest of the human sitting there in front of them. Right. So to me, having been personally judged in that way makes me very sensitive to that and be like, wait a minute, (laughs) you are a lot more than the numbers here. In fact, I'm recognizing that as you walk into this space, I'm seeing as though I have an office people walk into, it's a virtual company. But when you come into this space, like, I'm going to see all of you or I'm going to see the part that, you know, I, I recognize that you're coming in with a lot of fear about these numbers. And actually part of what feels so terrible to you when you deal with your numbers is the fact that your focus really is somewhere else and you haven't put maybe the focus you you might know that you need to here. And I'm going to help you get your focus there without feeling judged um, and without, you know, making it clear that this is not the only metric in the world that you have to be judged by. Absolutely. And there's always room for improvement. It's not like these numbers can't change or grow or expand as you expand. And I tend Mm -hmm. to experience changes whenever I'm going through an internal change myself. So, Mm -hmm. so much of what we attach to money is also attached to our our childhood wounds you know our our traumas uh what we've experienced intergenerationally or what what's passed down from our lineage and i think there's a lot that goes into healing healing money stories and i'm wondering you know how much of this spiritual healing have you done for yourself on your money stories if any Mm, what a good question. And that's a thinker. <laughs> um, I mean, I have really sat with a lot of people and their pain around this stuff. I mean, I really consider myself kind of a shepherd for this uh, work. And I, I, I feel like my role is witness, you know, like I I mean, I'll just give you an example because I think that this can come every single individual, no matter what um, gender identity, race, ethnicity, et cetera. You, we all have trauma around these things. Like, honestly, I see everyone has shame when it comes to their money. Literally everyone. think People you wouldn't assume had it do have it. But I have learned so much about you know, I've seen a lot of patterns, right? So I do see that a lot of people socialized as women are taught certain things about money and that it's not for them. It's not a space that is okay for them or safe for them. I see that pattern. I also see, I mean, I'll give you an example. I have this client who is um, a Native American and she said this thing to me that will never leave me. She said um, she owed a fair amount of tax when I was talking to her. 
And she was like, Hannah, I, you know, honestly, as a native person, I feel historic trauma around the US government taking things from me. And it just like, you know, that really hit me. Um, what, what that, I mean, that's not my experience in the world, but to hear that, it just gave me the sensitivity, you know, to the various, um, it, the lineages that people bring to this, um, to their money. It's, it can, it can carry a lot of weight. Absolutely. And how does one heal from that? I think I'm, I want to tell you, I know the answer. <laughs> I'm not positive that I do. I do think that the first step really is to forgive yourself. Um, I think a lot of us take mistakes we've made in the past and we make them tell a story that isn't really true. The fact is like everyone makes mistakes, especially with money. Um, there's no one who doesn't. And yet some of us take those mistakes and they make it mean that we are bad with money or like kind of permanently bad at this. And if you think about that in the context of anything else in your life, that's a ridiculous thing, right? Like you would never as a toddler fall down when you're walking and be like, oh, I guess walking's not for me. I'm bad with walking. <laughs> like that's how you learn to walk actually. And in fact, experiencing pain and doing things wrong and making mistakes is actually how you stop doing. Like pain is literally the role of pain is to teach you not to do that thing, right? So, um, and, you know, I stand here as a shining example of this. At the moment, I'm an expert in tax and I have, you know, really locked down my finances. I have, I feel very proud of where I am with my money at this moment. Who I was 20 years ago, you, I, you would have, I would have been the last person on earth you thought would do this work. I mean, literally my husband and my, all my accounting professors laughed at me when I started this path. They were like, you are going to teach people about money. And I was like, who better? Cause I've made all the mistakes. Like nobody's going to feel threatened by me. <laughs> and actually I think that's a good thing. Okay, so if you've ever felt like you're quote unquote bad with money, this is a good pause to take because like Hannah mentioned, that's just simply absurd. But let's face it, with the lack of education on how to properly take care of your finances, bookkeeping, accounting, and preparing yourself for tax season basically sets you up for failure in our adulting lives. And if you have a feeling of dread every year come tax season, well, I've got the thing for you. Hannah has a program called Money Bootcamp. And if you use code GRACED, G-R-A-C-E-D, you'll get $200 off. But first, I'd like you to see if you like Hannah's teaching style and see for yourself by registering for her free webinar called Understand Your Taxes and Make Money, The Ultimate Guide to the Hard Parts of Self-Employment. After the one hour, you have the option of going deeper into understanding your finances by enrolling into Money Bootcamp. From there, you can use code GRACED, G-R-A-C-E-D, for $200 off the entire program. You can register for the free webinar at go.sunlighttax.com. Or if you already know Money Bootcamp is for you and want to claim that $200 off the entire program, you can go to courses.sunlighttax.com 
slash basic training to register now. Links will be in the show notes. Now back to the show. Well, what I feel with you is I relate to you because you're a creative too. And so there's a sense of trust versus like if I was speaking to somebody who like didn't understand what I do and there might be that judgment or there might be just a, just a misunderstanding, you know, because I think Mm -hmm. money is a sensitive topic to so many people. And Mm -hmm. I think most of the time, most of us do feel like we're doing it wrong and there's Mm -hmm. no one really validating if you're doing it right, you know? Yeah, totally. Totally. So what are some common mistakes, mistakes, if any, that you're seeing because you mentioned something along the lines of you're able to tell when there's confusion in the books. And what does that tend to look like? I think what happens, um, bookkeeping is basically built on financial accounting. And when I went back to school for accounting, I learned that there's not just one kind of accounting, that tax accounting is actually a little bit different from financial accounting, the system that bookkeeping is based on. And something that is really, um, that's just not clear to you if you don't have formal training, right? No, Nobody knows that who's not an accountant. And the fact is that the way that just a standard bookkeeping setup is, uh, doesn't account for a lot of stuff that you need to account for when you do your taxes. And so what happens is people, even when they're really sincerely putting in a lot of effort and trying to do their best, like documenting all their expenses, they end up having to recalculate stuff at tax time. And I think it feels really yucky because you're like, I thought I was being organized. Why do I have to like redo my numbers when I thought all year I was doing this right? Well, it's not you. It's because the bookkeeping system you're using is not accounting for taxes. And so there's some stuff. It's not a lot of stuff. Like there is a tremendous overlap between financial accounting and tax accounting. But there are some key areas where they don't overlap. And that's basically, those are the areas that cause people stress and cause people confusion. Um, Because, you know, the IRS, you know, in tax law, a lot of times you get to take the bigger of two different, you can take one deduction, whichever one is bigger this way or this way. And so the only way to know which one is bigger is to actually be tracking both. And so if you set up your system, for example, where you track both all year long, then at tax time, you just see the answer. You know which one is bigger. But if you haven't tracked it that way all year, you have to go back and you have to recalculate it again with this other method. And that that's one of those like sources of stress for people, just for an example. There's also other areas in your bookkeeping where um, you never track the things that go on your tax return. So for example, like personal expenses. There's a, there's a lot of things that the tax law will allow you to take a little portion of something that is mixed use between your business and your personal life. For example, your phone, right? So I use my phone in my business because I, I only have one cell phone and I, I don't even have a landline. So all my client calls are on my phone. Well, I'm allowed to deduct a portion of that And that's reasonable because I really do use it for business, but I can't deduct the whole thing. So my bookkeeping doesn't show my phone at all because my phone is, most of it is a personal expense. So there's a little 
piece of it where at tax time I pull out a piece and I put that on my taxes and it's deductible. So there are things like that also that are like not in your bookkeeping that it's easy to forget about at tax time. And you have to be like, oh, wait, my phone. Oh, my internet. Oh, my home office, my car, like all these things. So there's just little details like that, that to me, I have learned, um, cause a lot of confusion for people. And if you don't have an accountant sort of full service taking care of that for you, which, you know, costs a ton of money, then you just, you just feel confused a lot about it. That's what I see. Sure. So who needs an accountant? Like who would you recommend to have an accountant versus not having an accountant? That's such a good question. (laughs) I don't think everybody needs an accountant. Um, I think, I don't even think you need necessarily somebody to do your taxes for you, but there are times that it's a good idea. So um, generally it's good to get someone to help you with your taxes in a year where you have a big financial change. And that's because you can't use the tax return from the year before to help you with this year when you're doing something new. And also there's places where you might not know the tax law and it would be very helpful if you did. Um, So those are times that you should use an accountant, I think. Um, And what I mean when I say that is like, if you buy or sell a business, if you're buying a house, if you're getting married, actually the year that you get married, I think is a good year to hire an accountant for your taxes because that's a huge financial shift for both people in the couple. But I also think that most people, if they set up bookkeeping, and for that, you don't need a whole accountant. You can you can hire a bookkeeper to set it up and then you can maintain the books yourself or you can set up your own bookkeeping. That takes some, you want to get some um, expert input when you do that because setting up your bookkeeping wrong is an expensive mistake to make. But if you have good books set up, you can maintain them yourself and you don't really need an accountant for that. So that's that's kind of the baseline of where I recommend. I do think once you have a larger company, if you're making six figures or so, at that point, you might want to consider outsourcing your bookkeeping, you know, to save yourself time as the CEO um, and also to get some higher level advisory, because at that point, you might be considering more complicated things like hiring someone. Uh, running payroll. And those are good check-in points with an accountant, I think. Yeah. Definitely. So rituals, I think, are really important for someone's life. And would you consider bookkeeping a ritual that you do for yourself? And how often would you recommend bookkeeping as a ritual? Like weekly, monthly? I love that. I love it. I love to think of it as a ritual. I think that's great. Um, I think if depending on the size of your business, if you don't have a tremendous amount of transactions, then I think a sort of minimum bookkeeping to be doing a good job is quarterly. So if you do bookkeeping every quarter, um, that's usually pretty good. And that corresponds to the fact that businesses, small businesses, if you're making your income, you know, if you're making your living from your business, then you will need to be paying quarterly taxes. So doing your books every quarter is a good idea because then you can estimate a quarterly tax payment. So that's why quarterly is a good minimum standard. Um, I like to light a candle, like play good music and clean my desk. (laughs) Like I really do like to kind of turn it into, yeah, like a special moment, a kind of a ritual um, and think of it more as self-care than as a 
duty because <laughs> it it just helps me. Um, I and that. I like to associate it with something like I like I get a nice cup of tea and um, just try to make it a pleasant atmosphere. And I find that helps me quite a bit. Absolutely. Do you ever have money dates? Mm. You know, I, I've, I know that there are people who teach this, um, the idea of money dates. I have, I have not so much. I, I do it a little more like a business meeting with myself, which is probably not very sexy, <laughs> but I will, I'll put it on my calendar, like money Monday. And I'll just like sit and just like look at my spreadsheets and, um, make decisions about things. Um, I definitely, at this point in my business, I do my accounting monthly. And so every month I look at my profit and loss statement. And so that's kind of my, at this point, that is my ritual, looking at my profit and loss statement, seeing how high my expenses are, if they're still all worth it, um, things like that. Just seeing what I can see in my numbers. Totally. And I feel like what you're describing is really similar to a money date. So it's whatever relationship you want to have with your money, <laughs> whether it's a mm -hmm. business meeting or however you want to preference it. But I think what I'm hearing is through this business meeting, you're removing some of the emotion from it that might appear maybe during a money date <laughs> or something that might feel a little bit more personable. So I'm wondering how, if you do, how important is it to remove emotion from your accounting and bookkeeping and how important is it to let your emotions fuel your money-making decisions? Mm. Wow. Such an interesting question. I mean, in a way, I feel... Like, I don't want to say that you need to pull all the emotion out. For me personally, based on my own experience with money, my challenge has been to bring joy to my money. So I want emotion. I just want it to be a positive one. <laughs> um, like, I have, as an artist for so long, I was living so close to the bone. I mean, I was proud of the fact that I could live on like a $20 grocery bill every week for many years until I had a baby. And then that didn't feel ethical anymore. Um, but I, so that's, I, I definitely sort of had like scarcity feeling was really big for me. So to me, when I make money or get a grant or something like that, I actually find it really important for me to like celebrate a little bit, like associate some joy with it instead of just being like, well, this has to pay down debt only, or this can only go to my retirement account. I make myself buy some little pleasurable item, like not, not a vacation to Mexico necessarily every time, but like a pair of earrings or uh, a nice dinner out. And so to me, like, having some positive emotion, like actually on purpose every time doing something positive. And that includes actually how I do my bookkeeping or like I light a candle, get a nice cup of tea. Uh, I bringing that joy in feels very important to me. Absolutely. Especially if you are the vessel for making the money, the money is not necessarily separate from you and how you treat money is often a reflection of how you're treating yourself. So in a lot of ways, when you're treating yourself to that nicely lit candle or the nice cup of tea or the nice earrings, you know, you're acknowledging yourself 
to be able to embrace the abundance that you're naturally attracting. So I feel like the more we acknowledge that energy, the more that we're able to receive it. And with this whole giving and receiving energy, it's also about giving to yourself, right? And like being able to give yourself nice things, but also being able to receive the nice things that you're giving to yourself. Mm, so beautifully stated. Yes. Yeah. I think that is all so true. And giving yourself like a, when you make it a pattern, training yourself that you can look forward to it, that it, that it will be a good thing. Yeah, totally. And then it becomes a ritual, you know, the money ritual that you're yeah. creating for yourself. Yeah. I'm curious if you have any of these grace yourself, like when you're handling your money, if you do anything to try and like either make it joyful or pleasant or create a little ritual around it. Do you have those things? You know, I'm really trying to embrace that a bit more. Um, I also like to light candles and sometimes I'll etch in my intention or a word that I'm working on. So maybe it could be abundance and I just etch it into the candle. I have started doing money dates for myself. So I'll track uh, the my bank account. I'll look at my bank account and I'll track the numbers. And it's like a, you know, I, I put like a, the sexy little burning heart next to <laughs> my money date tracker. Um, and I just, I try to actually be as neutral as possible whenever I view the numbers because whether, you know, what, whatever it is, I don't want it to affect my own sense of my self-worth. And I, I, and I, I think this falls into like a lot of people who are working for themselves might feel a certain way uh, about themselves because of how much their bank account might reflect. And so something that I'll, I'll take myself out on this money date, but no matter what, I'll just illuminate a feeling of lightness when I'm looking at my bank account. And I think that's important to remember because it's a state of flux and permeability and that we have a opportunity to create change in our lives. And so if it's something that we're working on, um, you know, I always just try to visualize what I want and how to attract that more into my life. Uh, some other things that I've been doing is I'll put like a wallpaper on my phone to remind myself of what I want to attract in. So that could be money. That could be other things, you know. Um, I also find that it's helpful to a point that you said earlier that value is not always dependent on money and to find that in other avenues. So it could be through how fulfilling your relationships are, or it could be through, you know, how you're treating your body that day. You know, it, it really depends on what we qualify as worthy. Yeah, totally. Totally. I'm finding this honestly in my like entrepreneurship journey that, um, there are times that I find very difficult, like to receive feedback, for example. Um, I find I can, I can find that very difficult. I'm very sensitive. I mean, I don't know who's not, but <laughs> I feel like I really want to do a good job. And so I, I hate reading that, you know, you know, if I could have made my program better in this way or that way, for example, I've had people write in that, that they wanted closed captions because of, um, 
hearing impairment. And I didn't at the time, I do now, but I didn't at the time have closed captions. I was like, oh, I'm a terrible person. I haven't, I didn't think about that. And, you know, but I needed the feedback in order to be able to implement this thing that is important. I just couldn't see, you can't see everything. So um, taking those things in with a little less of a sense of like judgment about myself as a person and that I had failed people and more like, oh, this is information and I can respond to it. (laughs) I find it challenging. And that reminds me of when we, uh, did our consultation and you were like, Grace, you're doing great. <laughs> and then I was like, you know, like, I was like, what, you know, in turn, I was like, oh my God, that made my day, you know? And the whole thing is like, we yeah. can be so critical of ourselves. And when it, we're seeing it, we're seeing it in a certain lens, you know, based on mm-hmm. our own experiences and whatnot. But I think it's important to try to step outside of that and oh, yeah. I think in that case, it does help to have an outside eye, you know, to like help guide you if you're not comfortable looking at it yourself yet. No, I know. And also you can't read the label from inside the jar. <laughs> like You need, sometimes you just need a different person to reflect to you what you're doing well at, you know, like you can't always see it yourself. So what's next for you? What is next for me? Well, I'm sort of switching seasons a little bit. We're kind of in the moment right now of like the actual tax deadline. And so people are either just finishing having done their taxes or they're kind of feeling the feelings of, oh, maybe that didn't go as well as I wished. Um, So I'm, that's kind of the headspace that I'm interacting with a lot, trying to sort of talk to people about, well, you know, if you, if you if you're interested if that feeling didn't feel good what would it feel like if that was better and so just trying to sort of talk about my program a little bit in that context of um making next year better <laughs> setting things up so that it's easier um yeah. yeah that's kind of that's kind of my plan and i started a podcast a couple months ago and so i'm super super excited Um, to just be digging in on creating episodes there to talk about different money issues because it's kind of my favorite thing to talk about. I mean, money money wins and challenges are so interesting because I think it speaks to much more than just money most of the time. It's like there's so many different layers to it. Definitely, definitely. And I find, I mean – my father is always like, I don't understand how you can think of something to talk about every week. <laughs> and I'm like, I have endless ability to talk about money. So, cause you know, when you're talking about people about their money, they will always bring new things to your attention. So it's, it's delightful to me. But So Hannah, where can people find you? Well, you can find everything at my website, sunlighttax.com. So there's the sunlight podcast is linked to there, or you can find that on your, you know, Apple on iTunes, Spotify, et cetera. And yeah, so just come to sunlight tax. And also if, if your listeners are interested in downloading a guide to their tax deductions, I have a visual guide, um, that kind of is just a one page reference and it's very colorful and it's really built for people who are oriented visually, you know, so you can just print it out, have it right above where you do your bookkeeping or your taxes, and then you just got it all where you need it when you need it. So that's also available 
at my website, sunlighttax.com. Perfect. Make sure to check those out. So thank you, Hannah, so much for your time and knowledge and compassion for, I feel like the human connection within managing your money. I think that's missing a lot from other, I would say, tax advisors and bookkeepers. And there's so much more that goes into managing your money because it's very much about managing your lifestyle and our beliefs that go along Mm -hmm. with it. So thank you so much for being here today. Such a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Grace. I really am so honored. Really nice to talk to you. Absolutely. Same here. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Graced Podcast. I've got another bonus for you, an abundance meditation. If you're ready to heal money wounds and amplify your abundance, this meditation can help you clear any blocks that you may have around attracting more money into your life. You can receive this abundance meditation for free by leaving a podcast review for this episode, taking a screenshot, and emailing it to graced at mysticmondays.com. That's G-R-A-C-E-D at mysticmondays.com. All right, friends, sending you so much grace today and every day.